When I work with a client on strategic planning, one of the steps that I take the group through is a brainstorm on the wider trends that are impacting their organization and the field that they work within. I sometimes get the question of, why did we bother doing this if the results do not get into the final product? And sometimes what is lifted up in that wider environmental scan is reflected in the final product, and sometimes it is not. Yet I still think it is important for a group to think out beyond their organization and consider what is going on more broadly that could impact their future. Welcome to the three-year potiversary of Mission Impact. I released the first few episodes of this podcast in August of 2020, and a lot has happened in the wider world since then. On this three-year potiversary episode, I will explore a couple big trends that I'm observing within the sector. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategy consultant. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as a team of staff, board members, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting brings you whole brain strategy consulting for nonprofits and associations. We help you move your mission forward, engage all voices, and have some fun while we're doing it. We combine left brain strategy and analysis with right brain wisdom about human complexities for a proven whole brain, whole organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your impact, auditing your services, and getting an organizational assessment. We especially love working with staffed nonprofits and associations with human-centered missions. I've been thinking a lot recently about the shifts that I've observed over the course of my career. One of the big trends that I'm noticing and experiencing myself is the reconsideration of the role of work in our lives. Over the course of my career, starting in the late 80s and early 90s, the idea of finding your dream job that fully matched your skills, talents, and interests became more and more pronounced. I remember my older sister recommending the book, What Color Is Your Parachute, early on in my career. And I dutifully did all the exercises to hone in on what was going to be more fulfilling in work. Countless other career-related books with a general theme of love your job and you will never work a day in your life came out over the years. And I certainly have read way too many of them. And with each job change, I was looking for greater optimization. More of this, less of that. And luckily, I did always keep in mind that, as one boss had told me along the way, there is a reason they call it work and there is a reason you're paid. There are always aspects of every job that are not fun. And as we've been encouraged to follow our passions and center that as we think about our careers, more recently, people are examining the dark side of that pursuit. How jobs that are about your passion are ripe for exploitation. For example, when there are many people waiting for their chance to get into a career 
it is easy for employers to pay very little because the people in the coveted roles are just lucky to be there in fields such as publishing or the arts and others. And in the nonprofit sector, we have wages of fulfillment, a feeling like we're contributing to the greater social good or fighting for a good cause. And hopefully we are. And that is one aspect that has certainly been motivating for me over the over the years. And yet there's a downside to all of this. It can also lead to workers being used and abused. And with the notion that if you are doing nonprofit work, you should be okay with lower wages, a broken desk chair, and that's low computer and outdated software. I've talked about this before on the podcast about the concept of vocational awe, a term coined by Fobazi Michelle Etra, which really crystallized it for me. As Etra, librarian by profession, writes, vocational awe is the idea that libraries as institutions are inherently good. It assumes that some or all core aspects of the profession are beyond critique, and it, in turn, underpins many librarians' sense of identity and emotional investment in the profession, end quote. This concept does not just apply to librarians. It applies to much of nonprofit work and most helping professions. If you love your job and you fully identify with that job, you don't really need to be paid well or have healthy work conditions. You should feel lucky to always be asked to go above and beyond. And then we wonder why the sector is afflicted with a huge case of burnout. Burnout is certainly showing up all over our economy and the conditions in our sector make it even more likely. Where the need so often outstrips demand for our services, the constant struggle for funding and support, and rarely being fully staffed make burnout rife. And more broadly, it is not really surprising given how our economic life has been consistently unraveled over the last 40 plus years. Several books I've read over the past couple of years have helped me understand how we got here. One was Your Job Will Not Love You Back by Sarah Jaffe. It examines how a labor of love in a variety of contexts, including the nonprofit sector, can lead to that exploitation that I've been talking about. One that I read more recently was The Good Enough Job by Simone Stelfoltz. Stelzoff? Hope I pronounced his name right. It really looks that it really looks at how wrapped up our identities have become in what we do and how that love what you do has meant that people are looking for their careers to fulfill way more than is really possible in our lives. Somewhat in the same way that our romantic relationships looking for the one has created expectations of one person fulfilling all our needs in a way that is really not possible. One of his remedies is cultivating a hobby finding flow and fulfillment in doing something outside of work and not with the idea that you're pursuing it to create a side hustle, just doing the thing for the thing. Two more books that put these trends into context for me include The Sum of Us, How Racism Hurts Everybody, Everyone by Heather McGee, and Can't Even, How Millennials Become the Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson. Both examine the historical, economic, and sociological background of how we got to where we are today. And together, they have helped me understand the trends that I've experienced since starting to work in the Reagan era. McGee's book explains why we can't have nice things in the U.S., The example she opens with is very illustrative. Apparently, public pools were quite common in the early 20th century in the U.S., but 
there was a push when there was a push to integrate pools, white people decided to close them and pave them over rather than share them with people of color. And instead, private white only swimming clubs popped up all over the suburbs. And this dynamic has played out over and over and undermined many attempts to bring the type of social safety net that many European countries enjoy. White people in the U.S. would apparently rather go without, without affordable housing, universal health care, decent wages supported by unionization, than share these public goods with people of color. In Can't Even which really in some ways has a misleading title. Peterson also examines the historical, economic, and sociological background that led to the high level of economic precarity that our increasingly gig-based economy brings. She argues that the anxiety that this brings drives a lot of the behavior that we observe within our work and broader lives today. One interesting thread that she describes is how the workaholic ethic of the tech, finance, consulting, and legal fields with staying at the office late into the evening has spread throughout the economy and become so commonplace that actually working nine to five is now called quiet quitting. For me, this has all been part of my attempt to dismantle my internalized Protestant work ethic and disentangle my sense of worth being derived from my productivity. It's certainly an ongoing and emerging pursuit, and I can still feel guilty when I prioritize rest over work. So what does any of this mean for you as you work in the sector? I would invite you to consider what assumptions and givens you've accepted as just the way things are over your career in terms of how your work is structured and what you're expected to gift the organization you work for or support. To what extent is your identity wrapped up in what you do and who you do it for? How might you begin or expand pursuits that you do just for the sake and pleasure of doing them? And at the organizational level, how might your organization better focus its attentions and initiatives so that it works well within its constraints instead of just pretending they don't exist? What guardrails can the organization agree to to prioritize worker well-being, such as striking the phrase fast-paced job environment from job descriptions? And that one is one that I read as code for, we're all workaholics here, or our workplace is chaotic and disorganized and you're always running up against a crazy deadline and false urgency. Or considering the possibility of a four-day work week or closing the office for a period of time and not just at the winter holidays to give everybody a break. And how can the structures that su support organizations help make all of these things possible? Funding for general support, streamlining re reporting requirements, and government grants that actually fully fund the true cost of providing services all go towards that. I invite you to consider how can we create a sector together where everyone thrives and no one has to be a martyr to the cause. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me. And thank you for helping me celebrate this three-year milestone for the podcast. You can find the full transcript of the episode, as well as links to the books I mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Cindy Rivera-Grazer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector brings you whole brain, strategic planning, mapping, and audits for nonprofits and associations. I hope you enjoyed the episode. 
please take a minute to share it with a colleague or friend. We appreciate you helping us get the word out. And until next time, thank you for all you do to contribute and make an impact. Thank you.